2: Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we are doing, please consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash Nightmerica. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhood. Episode 40, Slippery Slopes of Death. Ahoy, hoy, night, Americans. I'm your host, Aaron Sagers, journalist and paranormal pop culture expert and basically researcher of all things weird. And I currently appear on Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera. So here we are in 2021 after a couple week break. It's good to be back. And with the new year comes new changes. And with that said, I want to take a moment to congratulate my co-host, Britt Emmy. When we began Night America, it, it really began as a pandemic podcast project, and it has since grown. And Britt is moving along to helm her own upcoming podcast called Talking in the Rye. So I want to wish her all the best with that, with that new endeavor. And I would encourage you to check out that podcast. When it launches in the meantime, we will still be telling stories of the paranormal and true crime right here on America. And with that said, I want to welcome a very special guest co-host and her name is Kitsie Duncan. And in addition to being a longtime friend of mine, she's also the host of the oddity files podcast and also author of the new book. I'd Rather Talk to Dead People, which you can get right now. So without further ado, let me bring her in. Hello, Kitsy.
3: Hey, hey! thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
2: I'm excited to have you here. Only, uh, I guess, uh, I, I want to say a couple months ago, but it was more like half a year and change ago, I was on your podcast on the Oddity Files.
3: It was, it was, and it's, it's, I'm so excited you asked me to to hang out with you today. Super stoked.
2: I am super soaked as well. And uh, well, I'm managing all the technology on this. So bear with me if there are any hiccups. Uh, we'll just blame it on ghosts. So, yes, absolutely. We'll do that. Actually, speaking of ghosts, tell me a little bit about I'd Rather Talk to Dead People. It's big news. You have a book out. Uh, and what's really the thrust of it?
3: So I was late in the game into the world of paranormal, unlike yourself and so many, uh, you know, friends we have out there. I got into it in my late 30s and I I went full ham. I mean, I became obsessed. I couldn't get enough of the shows, the the websites, all the stuff and all the things. And it kind of turned into this YouTube show, which went on to Amazon Prime. And somebody, uh, Dave Schrader, you may know, he's also on the travel channel with you on Holzer files. Contact me. He's like, so, uh, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I'm like, well, I have, but why Mr. Schrader? And he's like, well, I've got this amazing publishing company that they're looking for new authors. It's beyond the fray publishing. And I mean, I, I I didn't, they weren't just like, oh yeah, write a book. Cause they asked me if I can write. And I'm like, well, I write stories for my podcast. So sure. Yeah. You know, and the book is written very conversationally. I'm not going to say I'm the smartest person in the world, but it's my account of some of the most prolific investigations I've done in my life. And it, I've learned more about paranormal investigating from the ghosts themselves than watching the TV shows and reading books. And that's pretty much what this is, is my journey with the spirits and and why I'd rather talk to them than real life people. So there you go.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. A lot of times the pursuit of the unexplained is a lot more interesting than some of the living, breathing people out there. But yeah, no, I think it's great. And also, yeah, big kudos to Dave Schrader. Obviously, not only a big fan of him and Darkness Radio and The Holzer Files, but he's just a heck of a guy, a good friend of mine, and you know he he really helped me enter this world in a more professional sense. I had been writing about it for newspapers and such, but it was really Dave that opened the door and welcomed me in uh, with the events. And uh, so I, I that that's just his his nature, I think, is to kind of welcome people along and help usher in new talent. So
3: he's I, like everybody's I, big, paranormal big brother.
2: He is. You know, I very much think of him, even though we're not that much separate age wise, I do very much view him as a big brother and a fellow nerd. He's a big time nerd as well. So, oh, yeah. uh, Big time Hoovian, especially. So, yeah, that's well, congratulations. I mean, I think this is excellent. And I certainly hope that that means you got a book out. That means we'll hopefully see you at some paranormal events and conventions once we actually have those again.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In person. So,
2: Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so we're going to be talking about, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about ski resorts and some odd stories connected to those, but first up, I wanted to see, Yeah, I've been doing this thing, weird news, and I couldn't decide between a couple different weird news topics, so I want to read the headline to you, and then you tell me which weird news story you want to hear about, okay?
3: Okay, well, I'd be graded on this. That's the main question.
2: There will not be a pop quiz. You will not be graded on this. This is just, it's pick one or the other. Okay, the first headline is Sasquatch Sculpture Snatched and Spotted on Side of Street. Okay, that's the first one. And the other headline is Haunting on Lane 1. Pulley Up Bowling Alley Has a Ghost That Keeps on Rolling. Out of those two, which one do you want to hear about?
3: Well, there's a reason I'm going to there's a couple of reasons I'm going to choose the Sasquatch story. First, I I recently read the story on the bowling alley and I am a huge fan girl of Sasquatch. So let's go that route.
2: Okay. See, you threw me off. I really didn't think you were going to go for the Sasquatch story. Oh, he's and- my
3: he's my secret boyfriend, man. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, does he know that? Is that that's a little no. bit awkward? Have you uh, acquired some sort of consent
3: about that? It's completely <laughs>
2: stalkerish from top to bottom. <laughs> well, what makes wait before I think what what makes you love Sasquatch so much?
3: You know, I he's just my kind of, people. And I use the word people loosely. He doesn't like people like me. And he kind of has been, you know, social distancing for as far as anyone could ever tell. And I appreciate that about him. And I secretly think he just needs a hug from Kitsy to make everything all better.
2: Wow. Okay. I mean, I think that's That that is, that's very deep. Have you, you've never had a Sasquatch sighting though?
3: I have not, I have not, but I do live in a, an State forest that is known for Sasquatch sightings, um, but I, I haven't seen him. I've heard some stuff where I'm like, eh, but okay. I haven't seen him.
2: Well, this is coming to us from uh, Santa Cruz County in California, and the story has it out of the. This is the Hyper Allergic website, and it's an independent journalism website. But according to them. According to writer Valentina de de Lisquia, emotions ran high in Felton, California, when the town's local Bigfoot statue distressingly disappeared from its post at the Bigfoot Discovery Museum. Now, this is not a huge Bigfoot Sasquatch statue. It's four feet high, and it guarded the entrance to the museum for nearly two decades, and it went missing. This is on November 9th. And also, along with the Sasquatch statue, a large wooden bear statue was believed to be stolen. And Michael Rugg, who is the museum's founder, said that, look, he had to step out really quickly. He had to go pay a bill. We can all relate to that. And when he returned, Bigfoot was gone. Now, he alerted the Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office which issued a social media post, "Keep your eyes peeled for Bigfoot," wrote the sheriff's office. No, seriously, please be on the lookout for the Bigfoot statue <laughs> that was stolen from the Bigfoot Museum in Felton this week. And <laughs> what I love about this is this little, the statue, the four foot eye statue, is known as Danny because apparently he resembles Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I don't know who's hairier, though, of Sasquatch or Danny DeVito. I don't, I don't know. But so this uh, this guy uh, is uh, a rug. Danny Rug uh, said that he I mean, this kind of hit him hard because he opened this museum out of really his long his lifelong love for Sasquatch. In fact, he said that he had spotted Bigfoot when he was four years old during a camping trip with his parents and he said he saw this gigantic hairy man and i guess as as parents do they were just like whatever it was nothing and instead it left such a indelible mark on him that he opened the bigfoot museum years later but the story has a happy ending because i know right you were in suspense so officers responded to a suspicious figure in the roadway in near Glen Canyon and Green Hills Road and this is yeah not too long after the initial disappearance but officers arrived and they spotted Bigfoot. Apparently the statue was a little bit banged up but you know not too worse for the wear and after you know just like a, a about a week They found Bigfoot and they returned him to the Bigfoot Museum and all is right with the world. I mean, he does look a little bit, a little bit banged up, but, you know, Sasquatch has probably endured more. So.
3: Absolutely. My question was going to be, if there was no happy ending is, was it replaced with a four foot monolith? (laughs) <laughs> because it was about that
2: time <laughs> monoliths are all the rage right now it is you know it would make sense but actually not really anymore as we record this i guess monoliths are have had their moment and it's it's pretty much passed right you well
3: know, they're still being spotted they're just not in our timeline anymore
2: Ooh, very nice what if there's the what if there's like a mandela effect of like years later people are going to be like remember the big monolith craze I'm like, no what 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 was that all about? I don't know anything about that.
3: Ooh, I know you could be onto something. I, I'm telling you, there's some kind of conspiracy wrapped up in that. I can't figure out what it is yet, but us weirdos, we'll figure it out, and then the rest of the world will forget about it, and we'll still be talking about it three years from now.
2: My theory on the monolith is that it is the aliens putting up essentially like construction scaffolding around Earth, <laughs> and they're going to hang a big sign around our planet saying under pardon our dust under construction bad time to visit come back at a later date and and it's really like until humans get their shit together it's like just you know skip this attraction come back later
3: yeah absolutely i mean it makes complete sense we are pardon our, dust, our galactic dust.
2: yeah um <laughs> Well let's dive into the let's dive into the topic at hand. Are you a big skier? You like to get out there in the powder?
3: My shirt says today it says indoorsy. So no. Indoorsy not.
2: is what Kitsy's shirt says. Yeah. Have you ever done it? Have you ever gone skiing?
3: No, I'm terrified. I'm good. I'm a klutz like to the nth degree. So I will break something. You know, I used to when I was a kid sled up in Wisconsin at my grandparents' house, and I think I ran into a couple trees. That could be what's wrong with me. Those concussions from childhood. Oh, food for thought.
2: Maybe that's why you're seeing so many ghosts. Right. <laughs> you should, probably, you should probably get an MRI. Uh, the <laughs> I I well you know I grew up in Florida, so. I the only skiing I really knew about was water skiing, and I have done it. But I'm so it's not I'm so not really good at it. It's not really my my thing, my shtick. But when I was a young paid journalist, I did work for a travel magazine, and I was locked away in an office, but had to write a skiing article about. It was something about the best places to ski, off-season skiing or whatever. And the article did so well that they started asking me to write more skiing articles. So there was this stretch of time where I was writing a lot about skiing and making skiing recommendations without knowing anything about it, and it definitely not being my sport of choice.
3: I love that little insider intel. I will not read those articles because did you even know what you were talking about?
2: (laughs) Well, and it just goes to prove that you can really write about anything. Research yeah. is a powerful thing. if If you know how to research, you don't actually have to be a skier to write about ski. It, it helps though. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I feel like I'm I'm uh, I'm sh- kind of showing how the sausage is made, although that was that was a long time ago when I was that young writer writing about skiing. But I do like the trappings of ski life. I like the idea. Being by a fire, right? Yeah, same. And in a lodge with
3: like a bourbon in your hand, telling stories about not skiing.
2: Yeah, a hot toddy. And I'm not even, I'm not even as as you can see as we record this. I'm wearing a tiki shirt. This is very much, you know, that's that's my vibe. But I I enjoy the idea of wearing a sweater at a ski lodge or in off like the coast of scotland or ireland i'm not normally a sweater guy but in those instances in a ski resort i think i would be very much a sweater guy so
3: oh yeah um, it's got to be like cable knit a la yeah, yeah. like chris evans in oh shoot what knives was out yes it's got to be that exact sweater
2: yeah i see okay i'm, I'm down with that yeah a little bit kind of ragtag maybe it's mm-hmm. it, like it the sweater has seen some adventures so yeah. if we can get Chris I, okay. Evans
3: there, that'd be great too. Um,
2: sorry, didn't say I, well, that out loud. We did, and <laughs> we can acquire the sweater. I I don't. I think it would probably be violating a few laws if I acquired Chris Evans for you. Okay.
3: Uh, well, yeah. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't be sorry. Don't sorry,
3: <laughs> sorry.
2: He's Captain America. I mean, the thing is—is is he's a damn handsome man. And not only is he a damn handsome man and a good actor, he seems like a really good human.
3: He is. He really is. I've been fortunate enough to work with him at the day job. I, My husband and I uh, run a photo op company for uh, conventions, fan conventions. And I've worked with Chris on several occasions. And he's actually... You would love him. He's he's a little snarky, a lot of awesome, and not bad to look at. So right. yeah, I, I I'm excited for weekends where I get to hang out with Chris.
2: <laughs> Everybody, if you're just uh, recording, tuning in, nobody tunes in. But if you're just listening now, welcome to the Chris Evans uh, podcast, <laughs> where we talk about our mutual loves for Chris Evans and the sweaters he wears. Um, let's, let, let's get back on track a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, we're we're on the same page about enjoying the trappings of ski life. But along with that, we have some cool stories, creepy stories that come out of some ski lodges and resorts and whatnot. And before we get into that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. America is brought to you by the Smell of Fear Candle Co., You guys know I am a nerd. You know this. But what you may not know is that I also like candles. And a good smelling candle can bring a lot of character to the room. Well, Smell of Fear candles bring a lot of literary and film characters to a room. These scents are inspired by characters and settings from stories and history. For example... There is the Telltale Heart Candle from the Essence of Poe Collection. Now that one smells like those infamous oak floorboards with just a hint of tobacco, which I imagine the narrator to be frantically consuming. Then there is the Gonna Need a Bigger Boat Candle from the Cinematic Sense Collection. Jaws is one of my favorite movies and this candle, I love it. It smells like salty sea air, the wood of an old fishing boat, and just a hint of whiskey which I'm sure Quint was knocking back. There is the Sasquatch Candle from the Cryptid Collection. And no, it doesn't smell like the stinky beast that we all know and love. Instead, the candle is inspired by the heavily forested areas in the Northwest that Bigfoot is said to roam, and it has hints of redwood, cedar, pine, and earth. Other collections include literary redolence, televised temptations, whiff of king, and there are more than 80 candles and counting. In fact, new candles are released monthly. Some of the newer releases are Welcome to Fright Night for real. And that smells like the fresh fruit that Jerry Dandridge was always munching on in the movie. Well, when he wasn't munching on humans. There's also I See Dead People, which is an icy blend of spearmint, eucalyptus, and mint. January's releases are a Crucible-inspired creation And something from the Conjuring universe. Now these candles are a coconut soy blend with no paraffin. That means they are eco-friendly. They're organic, they're renewable, sustainable with minimal environmental impact. They're also clean burning. So there is almost zero soot in comparison to other types of wax candles. They're also slow burning and have a fantastic scent throw and they are not made with any nasty chemicals. These candles are available in several shapes and sizes, as well as in wax melts, which I really like. The Smell of Fear candles also do wholesale, custom, and a subscription box service that features every month's new releases. The candles can be purchased on Etsy and at thesmelloffear.com. And one final note, and I really like this, is it's just... Really cool is Smell of Fear Candle Co. donates a portion of profits to various nonprofit organizations monthly. Past donations have gone to COVID relief funds, pet rescue organizations, and crisis services. So check them out. That's Smell of Fear Candle Co. on Etsy and the smelloffear.com. And now we're back. All right, works for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's dive into our first uh, story. I, I want to. If you're the you're the guest here, so I would like to hear yours first.
3: Okay. So um, I went true crime. Because I know you you are the paranormal king. I mean, you've been doing the paranormal stuff way longer than I have. Not that I'm calling you old or anything. You just jumped in earlier than I did.
2: Definitely not a king. Maybe a minor baron at best.
3: Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> so I, I went true crime because I'm obsessed. The uh, I... I am going to give a shout-out to Discovery Plus real quick, which where you can find Aaron Sagers on Paranormal Caught on Camera. I ditched cable this week because of Discovery Plus. There are two channels I watch. It's the Travel Channel and the ID Network. So I did some homework on Discovery Plus for this episode. And I'm going to tell you about a horrific murder that happened in October 2015 at the Alta Sierra Ski Resort, formerly known as the Shirley Meadows Ski Resort in Woodford Heights, California. It's a small resort, and that year, uh, the snow hadn't hit yet, so the small maintenance team of five were working on equipment, you know, just waiting for the snow to hit and the crowds to start their way up the mountain. But that morning, A tree had fallen in the road and had taken the only source of communication with it—the landline. I guess it was Uh up there, high enough in the mountains where there was no cell service. Which I don't know if I could work in that kind of situation. I'm too dependent on cell service. That Um, already
2: sounds for a horror movie, but.
3: Well, I mean, literally it turns into one. So spoiler alert. So (laughs) the men in the crew, which consisted of Bobby Rines, the supervisor of the crew, Tommy Ertz and a 17 year old high school student, which I couldn't find online his name, but in the TV show, I watched about it, they called him Nick. So we're going to call him Nick and uh, Carl Woolwine, who was 50 years, a 50 year old divorcee with two children, he was the new guy on the team. And while the boys were out, the only female on the team was in the shared home of the crew. She was there cleaning up around the place, which is a little too cliche for me. I feel like she should have had a chainsaw in hand too. But right. her her name was Joanne Noble, and she was dating Tommy Ertz at the time. And this is where things get a bit sketchy, but instead of leading you on several directions like the TV show does, and that's why I love them so much, um, we're going to get right to it, kind of. So okay. later that night, heading down the mountain from a weekend getaway, Carl's ex-wife Lynette and their daughter Amber spot his van on the side of the road with the keys inside, and I thought, oh, this is it. They're going to find something. But they really weren't that concerned because allegedly his van broke down all the time. But when they got home and they find Lynette's son, John, at home and Car- and he was supposed to be at Carl's house, um, Lynette gets concerned. So she calls Bobby, who's the supervisor of the crew, and is like, have you seen Carl? And he's like, no, we haven't, but let me go ahead and call some people and see what I can find out. And was very sincere about it and, and said, you know what, I'm I'm just going to do what I can for you. Why don't you go ahead and call the police, which was awesome, and she was super excited to have his help. Um, but Bobby did say that he hadn't seen him since the late afternoon on the day he left the mountain. So the following day, Lynette makes a missing persons report and the police can't find anything, anything right away. So they bring in everyone on the maintenance crew since as far as they can tell this, these were the last people to see poor Carl. And according to our 17 year year old hero, Nick, he heard a single gunshot after the crew was done cleaning up the fallen tree and he just bolted down the mountain on foot. seems a little sketchy. Um, but he said he didn't look into it. He just had a bad vibe about it and left and the police took it and let him go.
2: So he just, he got, he had to get out of there is what he was saying.
3: Yeah. He's like, he heard one gunshot and was like, I'm out.
2: Nope. The F out of there. All right. (laughs)
3: Literally. Which I mean, if you saw these people in real life, I understand why, um, but next police uh, go and grab Joanne, Tommy, and Bobby, and they're all in separate interrogation rooms, and they question them all separately. And uh, in the show I watched, they interv- they did interviews with the police officers, and the police said that Joanne was just coming off sketchy, like she was lying, looking all the around the room, her arms were crossed, and, you know, that paranormal p- a researcher pose that's so popular, and just looking like she was not telling the truth.
2: You do that well. You you uh for those listening, just uh, to the audio side of this, you you're, you're pulling off the sketchy look really well. I'm just saying.
3: Oh, I thought you were going to say I was pulling off the paranormal pose. Wow.
2: Well, I mean, I guess that too. But I mean, like the just the sketch kind of shifty eyes. You know, I mean, I I feel like. Right now, you you're about to you're you're holding back on committing a crime or something. But okay. all right, but continue. Know. Sorry, not to call you sketchy, but just you you pull off you the sketchy did. look well.
3: Okay, I don't know if I like that or not, but we'll I'll continue.
2: Well, you <laughs> so shouldn't like, like, like it because it? no, you shouldn't like it because if you if you were to commit some sort of heinous crime, and we don't know yet, but hopefully you'd be able to you could pull off the look better so you don't look guilty.
3: Oh, well, I don't know. That's why I don't commit crimes because I'm one of those people that every emotion shows on my face. I think you've known me long enough to where I I can't hide anything because it's all on my face.
2: Yeah. I'm glad that that's the only thing keeping you from committing crimes is the fact that (laughs) your expression (laughs) would sell you out. It's the only reason you're not going on a murdering spree. (laughs) Look, hey, sometimes... Sometimes just <laughs> the fear of jail is, is powerful enough yeah. to keep you from going on a, a you know, performing, uh, you know, uh, criminal acts. But anyhow, uh, now I'm going to commit. So I'm going to admit to committing something. This is why I don't commit crimes. So anyhow, go on, continue. Shifty look.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we all know I hate people, so I have to have something. Okay. So um, Tommy has that nervous leg shake, you know, where it's just bouncing up and down and the cops are like, oh, he knows something he's not telling us. Then we have Bobby, because they've got all the surveillance footage of, you know, the interrogation rooms in this show as well. And Bobby's in sweatpants, no shoes, no shirt. And he's just cool as a cucumber. And then just all of a sudden he lawyers up. He's like, I'm not saying anything else until I have my lawyer. And the cops are like, okay, I mean, we can't do anything else. And Tommy, in the interim of when Bobby has started the lawyer up process, gives a full confession of how the actual events went down. Cause that leg shake was just too much for him. Mm-hmm. He tells police that Carl had made a comment about his girlfriend, Joanne, and he didn't like it. And he went and told Bobby about it because not only was Bobby his supervisor, but he was like a father figure. And Tommy was like a son figure to Bobby. And Bobby was lit. He was not happy about it whatsoever. So he grabbed Tommy and the two went off to confront Carl. Bobby did most of the talking, and both Tommy and Bobby had just been out shooting targets because apparently that's what you do when there's no snow at a ski lodge, is you shoot things in the woods. I don't know. Like I said, I've never been to a ski lodge. Um, and blah, blah, blah. And They each had a handgun on them because they were out there shooting. But according to Tommy, Bobby just pulled his gun out and shot Carl point blank in the head when Carl was trying to explain what he had actually said. What he had said that Tommy didn't like is that, and I'm going to quote from Carl, I like to watch Joanne work. And in the recreation on the TV show, Actor Carl, not real Carl because, you know, he's dead, um, comes over and says, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I just like to watch. And then, boom, he got shot in the head. It was very traumatic. God, I love the Indie network. Anyway, he said it was taken out of context. Bobby shoots him in the head. Um, Tommy says that right away after that happens, he ran away because he felt like he was going to puke because he had just seen a man die right in front of him and he goes to the house where I guess they all live. Everything's super sketchy in this story and tells Joanne what had happened. Nick had already bolted down the mountain because he knew something was wrong. So after a little more conversation with police, um, Bobby decides, okay, I don't need a lawyer. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happened. And then at first he blames it on Tommy, you know, the one he, thinks of like a son, but then he finally confesses to the fact that he didn't mean to shoot Carl, that he had actually just wanted to like scare him. So after he accidentally, that's air quotes for you guys not watching this, shot Carl and now he had to do something with the body. He took takes out the backhoe because, you know, he had that at his disposal and dug a shallow grave. And he and Joanne placed Carl in the shallow grave and then covered him up with this huge um, dirt moving equipment. I don't even know what it's called. So, like I said, I'm not going to lie, everything um, I've read and watched on this, something still seems off. I still Mm -hmm. feel like there's a a piece of this story missing, but there's not that many murders that happen at ski lodges. I, like, came across, like, two, and then I accidentally closed the window on the second one and could never find it again. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the one I went with. Um, now, Tommy and Joanne were also interviewed on this episode, and they said that Bobby had recently lost a daughter to suicide and that his his head just was not where it used to be and that he may have just taken out his frustrations on Carl, but unacceptable. You get help. You don't shoot somebody and somebody else dies. Yeah. So yeah, um Ryan was a real
2: for this podcast right there.
0: <laughs>
3: in my mixed up sort of way. I mean when
2: you're when your head's not in the right place, it's not fair to make to take someone else's head from the right place.
3: <laughs> Literally.
2: <laughs> also, I do appreciate that the sense of disappointment that you, you expressed and not being able to find enough murders at ski resorts. Um, this is definitely a true crime podcast, uh, <laughs> friend, a trope that it's like, Oh man, couldn't find enough murder and mayhem on the, oh, on the I mean, topic.
3: The struggle is real. There's no struggle. doubt.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. So wait, what continue? What, what is there any other threads to this?
3: Um, no, not really. After that, uh, he was charged with first degree murder, he being Bobby, but it was later reduced to second degree murder. And then it was a hung jury. And then in May, 2017, Bobby rise took a plea of voluntary manslaughter. And he was sentenced to only 14 years in prison. Both Joanne and Tommy took a plea as felon accessories to murder even before Bobby was officially sentenced and they each got three years probation. But they were sentenced as, you know, being accessories to murder, but he was never even charged with murder. It was voluntary manslaughter. So they're they're a little salty about it, which I mean whatever, you guys were still a part of a murder, just saying. Yeah. Um, My wingman for this story was Discovery Plus, where you can also watch the amazing Aaron Sagers on Paranormal Caught on Camera. But for this story, I watched the show Murder Loves Company, and the episode was called Killer Cover-Up and also the Kern Valley Sun newspaper
2: online. All right. Well done. I I have some follow-up questions. Um, Okay. First off, so we're uh this this is one of the stories where keeping track of the names is like watching is like reading an, uh, a, the game of thrones books you know where are like which guy is that again Is like a tommy a bobby uh a carl a nick uh, carl nick and carl so the and joanne and tommy were did they stay together were they still together during this interview
3: You know what? They didn't say they weren't sitting next to each other, but I mean, I feel like they would have mentioned. No, I don't know. Let's see. That's a question I will look into for you, sir.
2: Well, it's just, it's, it's intriguing to me because there's a lot of stories where there's people that are somehow, even when they're involved with something dastardly, it almost like keeps them together. It almost like forges that relationship, but it's just fascinating. Um, the other, other really pressing question is, so it was, uh, Bobby that was just in the sweatpants and no
3: shoes and no shirt. Yeah. The supervisor, Bobby, the guy who actually shot Carl.
2: So what happened with in the interim with his shirt and shoes that's the mystery that maybe that's what's really not striking you as right in this story. Because that's my like what boy, where where where'd your clothes go? Like what <laughs> why was he half naked?
3: I'm assuming they went and arrested him at this See, I think what's so sketchy is like this place where they all lived together, except Nick and Carl. It was like Tommy, Bobby, and Joanne lived in. Now, Bobby called it an actual trailer during the questioning um, on the surveillance camera. But they showed it like a cabin in the recreation. So I think those three were living together. I think there was a little more going on with those three oh. than we were. Yeah, that's mm. what I'm I'm going with. But I'm assuming they just came to his house and arrested him on the spot and didn't let him put any clothes on? I mean, is that a thing? Do, do the police do that?
2: I mean, I can understand the police not wanting you to take a moment to exfoliate and mo- moisturize before they bring <laughs> you in for your mugshot. But it seems like putting on shoes and a shirt is Especially, especially because then you're going to throw them in a, an interrogation room for ho- who knows how long, you know, if they haven't put on a little deodorant and a shirt, they're going to be stinking up the, the place, you know, so I think, yeah. I, I think that the clothes that's a uh, lingering it's a it's a lingering question. Yeah. So yeah, I
3: think you're right. I think that's part of what made it sketchy. I feel like the police should maybe have like a, a swag box when they take you into the interrogation room that has like deodorant, a bottle of water, you know, maybe a pair of socks in case you leave the house without your shoes. I don't know that that might be something police stations <laughs> might want to do.
2: Like some um, little maybe aromatic uh, pillow filled with like lilac or chamomile or something. So you can just, you know.
3: Call them the leg shakes.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I don't know. I think at the very least for law enforcement, it seems like you want to make certain that Before you have someone for a perp walk, before you arrest someone, you should at least follow the barest restrictions for getting served at like a McDonald's, you know, no shirt, no, no shoes, no service, no shirt, no shoes, uh, no arrest, you know, like just at least, you know, give them a moment so they can be presentable. I don't know, but um it, not to make light of a of, of a man's murder it's very sad um but, but that's also very what, weird
3: what keeps us saying telling these yeah. stories you got to add a little bit of humor to it
2: exactly well I'll tell you that I like that one um I mean as far as weird ski resort ski lodges uh tales it's uh I mean it's it's sufficiently dark and it's also uh, if if it was simply, I like watching Joanne work, man, that, that was a quick trigger right there.
3: Yeah, that's my thoughts as well. That's why I think maybe there was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a little menage triangle thing going on in the trailer. I don't know. Yeah,
2: some shenanigans happening in that trailer. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, before I dive into my story, let's hear from another sponsor. Support for Night America is brought to you by Manscaped, which is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Now guys, it is the 21st century and there is no excuse for not looking your best. You got to take care of that business down there. Thankfully, Manscaped has you covered with the perfect package 3.0, which comes with all the essentials for your grooming needs, including the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, and crop formulations. And yeah, I'm talking about ball deodorant and toner. But big news, Manscaped has also just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over at all times. It's called Refined, and it is light, it's approachable, it's not overpowering. Nobody wants that really overpowering scent. And this... Refined is actually gentlemanly in all the right ways. It's like your wingman for the night out to keep you fresh and keep you ready for anything. It's calming, it's inviting, and this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of vetiver and a woodsy masculine finish. Also, the 50 milliliter spray is hypoallergenic it's cruelty free it's dye free it's paraben free and 100 percent vegan plus something i really like about it is it comes in a really nicely designed glass bottle which really kind of evokes this old school cool i really dig it all right guys look good smell good feel sexy for yourself and whomever else gets close to you and good news if you head to manscaped.com and use the code NIGHTMERICA, you will get 20% off your order plus free shipping. That's code codenightmerica at manscaped.com. Your balls and body will thank you. And we are back. And, you know, you... Your story was set in a ski area trailer, and I'm going very much for the opposite opposite end of the spectrum because I want to head to Canada. Oh, Canada. So sort of North America country, I guess. And we're going to head to the Fairmont Banff, Banff Springs Hotel in Alberta, Banff. I keep wanting to say Banff, which is a sound Nightcrawler makes an X-Men when he teleports Banff. But it's Banff (laughs) in Alberta. And it's located in the Banff National Park, which is 1.6 million acres in the Canadian Rockies. So great place for skiing and hiking and also apparently hauntings. So at the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel... The hotel itself was built in 1888. The architecture is modeled after a Scottish baronial castle. Now Kitsy, you're an architectural whiz, so I know that you are quite familiar with those Scottish baronial castles. I had to I had to look it up and it is indeed as cool as it sounds and I'm just gonna sh- throw a picture up there for you no. to see. It. Yeah
0: Oh my God
2: this is this is a gorgeous structure. It's the kind of place that well, you know what it, for those that are listening to the podcast, this is an audio medium., um, but we're also putting this out there on video. But this this gorgeous castle nestled. At the foot of these mountains, surrounded by trees, you know what it automatically makes me think of. What does it make it make you think of? Take a look at that.
3: It it makes well. First, I thought of the Stanley Hotel, yeah. but it's even more stunning than that.
2: It looks like it looks like a shining hotel. You know, it looks like the Overlook Hotel. Uh, it looks like a place that you could get that's massive, and you could get locked away and stuck in a snowstorm for a long time but it is quite a gorgeous place so it was sort of the origin of it was there was the Canadian Pacific Railway and the hotel was designed built to be this this bastion of luxury and as the Canadian Pacific Railway as the railway stretched westward it was important to have a stopover For those that were traveling along this new route this new railway route and this mountain scenery this the natural thermal pools nearby really created a location for a world-class destination and today the national park is actually this national park is the busiest in canada and when it first opens when this hotel first opened they the uh, there was a man named Corn- Sir William Cornel- Cornelius Van Horn, which I just like. He was a railway pioneer. It's like the kind of name you have to say. Like, Sir-, Sir William Cornelius Van Horn. <laughs> he, when he established the hotel, he said, if we can't export the scenery, we'll import the tourists. So this hotel, when it opened in 1888, it was to uh, spend a night there, cost... and 50 cents. Right.
3: What is that in today's money? Do we know?
2: I didn't do the conversion, but I don't understand. So I'm guessing a lot. And so the hotel itself, it's a UNESCO world heritage site, 15 floors, 768 rooms, 11 restaurants, 14 shops. I like this. This There's a 100 foot lap pool and a 50 foot heated outdoor pool. And Mm -hmm. there's also a spa with 23 areas, and these include three waterfall treatments, uh, an indoor mineral pool, an outdoor whirlpool, and get this, a eucalyptus inhalation room.
3: Okay, I'm leaving right now. You can finish this, right? Because I'm heading there right right now. (laughs) I know.
2: I want to go as well. and. And really the eucalyptus inhalation room is definitely that's I like that. That's either the creation of a very creative, drunk or high person that's like, let's just build another a eucalyptus room. I don't know. Eucalyptus inhalation room. Never heard of that before. Me neither. So the so this is definitely a swanky, gorgeous hotel. Some of the famous guests that have stayed there include King George the Sixth, his wife, Queen Elizabeth the queen mother. Uh, Bob Hope has been there. Bing Crosby, Marilyn Monroe. Weirdly enough, it also appeared in the Chevy chase movie, the great goose caper of 2011, a classic. And it's, you know, it, you know, the great goose, <laughs> goose caper. And it's been known. It's been called Can, Canada's castle in the Rockies. And also said to be the most haunted building in Alberta. So Let's dive into some of these ghosty tales.
3: So I'm sorry, of... I didn't want to go for the spa. I definitely want to go now if it's haunted. I, know. So let's
2: go. I want to I want to investigate the eucalyptus inhalation room. Um, <laughs> who's to say there's not a ghost in there? So, one of the most famous stories out of the Banff Hotel, Banff Springs Hotel, is of a ghost bride. Classic classic paranormal trope the ghost bride right lady in white lady in white well this particular story dates back to the late 1930s some of the stories put it 1920s but the most consistent uh date i can find is late 1930s so the story is young woman young couple wedding day happy day She's decked out in her wedding gown, ready to go. And she descends the hotel's marble staircases. Staircases. Oh. One, one staircase. Marble staircase. And obviously quite happy. Maybe she's a little giddy. Maybe she's moving quickly. But something startled her perhaps. Or maybe she hooked the heel of her shoe as she was going down. Ben. Others say other other stories say that she actually caught like caught herself on a flame, went too close to a flame of a candle, and and uh, started to catch on fire a little bit. But whatever happens, the consistent part of the tale is that she fell. So what she you're saying she stopped
3: dropped and rolled down the stairs, right? <laughs> I think
2: I think more like fell, tumbled and and died on the stairs because she crashed to the bottom of these steps and killed her neck broken and now it's hard to pin down some of the facts with this, but this is such a popular story that some people say that they've seen this apparition of a woman in her wedding dress, dancing in the hotel ballroom or walking down the staircase or in the Rob Roy bar of the hotel, which I like, I like the most the, mm-hmm. anytime you got a little booze and booze, but what I like about this, this story the most is that, it's so famous that and and been spotted, but this ghost is Ghost Bride has been seen by so many people that in 2014, the Canadian Mint put the Ghost Bride on a coin and stamp, and okay, out. yeah, and. David Roberts, who was regional vice president and general manager of the hotel at the time, said, We have long been known to visitors around the world for the tragic tale of the ghost bride. Her chilling resemblance has been expertly captured on this new coin and stamp. And it's a novel way for her spirit to live on beyond the walls of the hotel. And this let me this this coin and stamp, it's kind of nifty. I don't have a picture on hand, but I'll put it up on the Instagram. It's a lenticular image, so you see the ghost bride's face, and then as you move it, the bride's eyes suddenly open, and then the candles that are in the background light up, and also you see the image of the the majestic hotel in the background. So she's a popular spirit there, but she's not the only one. I love
3: how they've embraced it, though, and are like, yeah, we're excited to have this coin and come see our bride, pretty much.
2: Exactly. And I always like it. You know, there was certainly a time when there were establishments that didn't embrace their ghost stories. They thought maybe it was bad for business at one time, but now there's a lot of people that do kind of embrace that. It's good for business. But the other one that they embrace is the ghost of Sam McCauley. Now, Sam was the former head bellman of the hotel. Sounded like a really friendly guy, actually. Oh, White okay. hair, plaid jacket, and a Scottish accent. And My favorite. All right. of them. I, he, he just sounds like a lovely man. Good old Sam Macaulay. That's not an that's not a Scottish accent. I don't know what I was just doing there. I can do Scottish <laughs> accents, but that wasn't it. Uh and good old Sam McCauley. Can you do a Scottish accent?
3: Oh no, I can't all I can do is Wisconsin hater, don't you know? That's the only accent I can do.
2: I mean, that would also be a good voice for a ghost, but I like it more if it's, you know, like like Sam McCauley. <laughs> that's, that's also it. not Scottish. That wasn't Scottish. No.
3: Dang, we need Scrooge. Uh, or Scrooge McDuck when you need him.
2: I know. Where's David Tennant? That's that's what we need. So <laughs> um, Sam McCauley, uh, he worked there for more than 40 years, from the 1930s until he died in 1975. And what I love about the stories of Sam the Bellman is that he was reported, one of the early reports is there were two elderly women. And they couldn't get into their room one night, one cold night. And they called the front desk for help. But Bellman wasn't picking up or he was taking too long to arrive. But a night Bellman did arrive. And he offered to help these ladies. And in fact, he was a friendly white-haired old Bellman who apparently appeared out of nowhere, had a key in hand, and lit these little old ladies in and apparently he said there was you know no no bellman on duty that could help them uh and when these little ladies did finally gain assistance from an official hotel staff they're like oh no we were helped by this elderly gentleman and they the hotel staff was like no that no one is of that age or description on our staff Uh, and so that was one story of Sam the Bellman that he showed up and helped some people. Another time there was a couple that said an older man helped them with their bags and described the man to the hotel employee. And the hotel staff again said none of the bellhops are over the age of 30. And there's my been
3: times ghost ever.
2: And Sam sounds great. Sam the bellman. He also that what also makes him pretty great is that when people try to tip him. That's when he simply vanishes right before their eyes. And he's been also seen in his old office, which is now a guest room. Mm. And he's been seen on the mezzanine floor. And some people attribute some cold spots on the sixth, seventh, and ninth floors of the hotel to Sam the Bellman. So, kindly guy. We have Ghost Bride and, and kindly Bellman Ghost.
3: I wonder if Most people money. were to tip him with the, the money with the the bride on it if he'd actually take the tip.
2: Oh, shit. That's <laughs> that's like
0: mind blown.
2: That's next level. That's I like <laughs> I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> Just threw me for a loop on that one. I don't know.
3: I'm so weird. You have no idea.
2: <laughs> you, well, Maybe he would be like Why aren't I the one on the coin? I'm like, I'm a nice
3: ghost. That's when he'll take tips is when he makes it on a coin.
2: Yeah. A little spectral jealousy there. Well, (laughs) so those are two kindly spirits. And there's a lot of stories within the Banff Springs Hotel. But I want to talk a little bit about the Lost Room 873. And this is this is the one that it's intriguing because it's the one that there's a lot of stories about it, but the hotel doesn't hotel does not seem to want to talk about it. No. Now Dennis, it should be said that Dennis begin is a writer for Sun Cruiser Media, and he did some great research on this. There's a lot of research out there. But I want to tip my hat to Dennis Begin at Sun Cruiser Media. But so the lost room. So the story. There's a lot of different versions of this story, and they all center on this guest room that is missing somewhere in the hotel. And the one of the stories goes is that when the hotel opened in 1888, there was Bruce Price, who was an architect and designer, and one of the stories is that he misread the architectural plans and accidentally built the entire hotel facing backwards and that the construction crew as a result built an extra room that did not have an outside window and was boarded up and that the room that they never inserted a door in this room. So basically there's just this empty vessel of a room and that Price, because he was embarrassed, decided just to continue on with the construction and ignore this lost room. You know, the the staff had 200 other rooms to keep them busy. So who's going to notice this this missing room, this walled off area and that they discovered this, according to the story in 1926, when there was a massive fire. And they discovered this lost room on the eighth floor and it never had a number. So they never expected to find this. Now there is some inconsistencies with this story, which is that this, the original hotel, first off Bruce price, I feel like it, the record should be set straight. This guy was an architect. He was a good architect He's not going to accidentally misread his his own plans, and he's not going to accidentally build a hotel backwards. No. (laughs) No. No. There was a fire in 1926, and the fire destroyed much of the original structure of the hotel, and a replacement structure was later completed in 1928. So the fire took place in 26, and the replacement was completed in 1928. So based on the damage I've read about this fire, I don't think that a room would have survived to this day. It seems like so much was destroyed that this lost room perhaps didn't exist. But the story gets weirder because so it reopened in 1928 after the fire and. The story of a lost room gets darker. So apparently, room eight seven three was occupied after the after the fire. After it was rebuilt, after it reopened, nineteen twenty eight. Supposedly, a gruesome murder took place in room eight seventy
0: three. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
2: And that, again, this is one of those classic tropes, murder-suicide, that apparently a husband had killed his wife and their young daughter and then proceeded to take his own life. And that this was so traumatic that they boarded up this area, this room, and no longer allowed people to be in there. But instead, the room, people could hear from where the room once was strange sounds, screams, shadows moving about the area. Maybe even a bloody handprint of a little girl Mm
0: -mm. in the area
2: on a mirror. And oh, and yes, so that's when they decided to seal up the room. There was this murder and then they decided to seal up this room. And there's still apparitions claimed to be spotted in the hallway. Now, officially the hotel does not wish to talk about this story. There is there's not there's not documentation that I could find about a gruesome murder taking place in 1928 in Alberta in this hotel, and it seems like something that would be documented. Yeah. But there does seem to be evidence that there was something of a room there. Room 873, apparently, there are rooms ending with the numbers 73 on both the 7th and ninth floors, but not on the 8th floor. And until somewhat recently, the baseboard in the hallway on the 8th floor had been cut to fit the width of a door, and no door there any longer. But if you knock on the walls where a door would be, it sounds hollow, like there is a sound on the other side, or a room on the other side. And there also, at one point, was a hallway light located above where a door should be. Above Mm -hmm. where room 873 should be. Now, people still say that they hear, they... Well, some people, you know, some people, very vague reporting, but some people claim to fall asleep in the room next to where 873 would be, only to be w- awoken by hollow screams, uh, and that some people are still saying that in the adjacent rooms they might see the bloody handprint on a mirror. But it's it's pretty questionable, the murder part. Um, yeah. But what does seem to be the case is that there was something of a room there. I think that the theory tends to be that they just made it a part of another room, <laughs> like that 875 basically absorbed 873.
3: It's like and, a suite you
2: now. Yeah. And, but, you know, there are enough stories of paranormal activity in the area that I think sometimes people build up the story to match the activity, you know?
3: Yeah. Of- yeah. No, Absolutely.
2: Legend creation. The official position of the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel is that the lost room and room 873 are the same, and that there was never a mass murder that took place there, and that simply during various renovations, smaller rooms were often enlarged and lights relocated, and that the story ghost stories are simply an urban myth. However, they do embrace the, the ghost bride, the bellman. There's also supposedly a headless bagpiper that is seen in a bar. Oh, yeah,
3: that's scary.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't find a lot of story, a lot of research on the guy, but supposedly a headless um, headless bagpiper. And, you know, the hotel does lean into some of its stories. Halloween with this Halloween heritage ghost tour package and a haunted hotel Gala, so they do lean into some of it, but not this notion of the room 873 or the lost room. Um,
3: Well, I mean, who wants to lean into a murder suicide? I mean, I get it.
2: Yeah, that part's really bad for business. I tend to think, I I do tend to think that probably there's some sort of paranormal activity there, or some sort of activity that people are reporting, and they're just creating a story to to match the activity or perhaps there were some staff members in the past that wanted to maybe make it seem a little sexier like add a little bit more i mean you we see this all the time some people
3: darkness
2: yeah like oh it's you know it's like introducing a demon into a story it's it's kind of a a go to for people that are creating legends creating lore surrounding a location um, mm. but so there's a i i have one more if if you want to hear one more story it's because this is a an account from the hotel historian. Ooh. And the Alberta Venture reported on this. So we've got Ghost Bride, we've got Happy Bellman, we've got Murder Suicide. And this one is perhaps my favorite simply because it is so ambiguous, I guess. <laughs> Apparently there was a gentleman attending a conference in 2007, so fairly recent, during the middle of the night, he's trying to get some shut-eye before he has to go to work the next day at the conference, heard a giggle in the hallway. Now, at first, he assumed that this was simply a bunch of ladies maybe returning back from a night at the bar, passing by, so he ignores it, tries to go back to sleep. But then the giggling continues, gets louder even, and seems to get closer. And in fact, sounds like it's in the room right next to him, right on the other side of the wall. And then sounds like it's in his room. He's hearing this giggling. Well, turns on the light, doesn't see anyone in there. Tries to go back to sleep just ignore it, block it. Again, got to wake up early in the morning. Then he feels something. He feels a physical sensation as if something is trying to physically lift up his mattress and off the bed. And then he feels his whole body being pushed up by this mass mattress. Again, probably rather startling, but he didn't see anything. Things quiet down. Apparently he stayed in the room that night. So the next morning, he contacts a colleague who was staying in another room, and it's like, hey, uh, let's grab some breakfast. Why don't you stop by my room, pick me up? His colleague arrives, and as his colleague arrives, the man steps into the washroom and tells his, his buddy, his, his colleague, to wait a minute before they leave for breakfast, which I think is kind of weird and rude. If you're telling someone to come by and pick you up, yeah, be ready. Don't step into the washroom. Perhaps that's why what happened next happened, because when he comes out, his, his buddy, his colleague— was no longer in the room and the door was open and the guy goes outside, looks into the hallway and his colleague is standing out in the hallway underneath a picture. And when the man asks his colleague, like, what are you doing? I thought you were going to wait for me. He said that he was waiting in the room when something took his hand and gently pulled him towards the door. And he felt a pulling sensation out to the hallway as if something wanted to get him out of the room for some reason. So sounded like whatever was in there wanted this guy alone.
3: Well, apparently.
2: At that point, that's when he asked for a room change.
3: Eh, I mean I feel like if something's moving my bed, I would I mean you and I have done our, our fair share of conferences. And mm-hmm. <laughs> if somebody's trying to levitate my mattress and I'm trying to sleep because I gotta work in the morning I'm gonna ask for a room change or an exorcism, one of the two.
2: What I, I yeah, and that's the thing is that I, I absolutely love staying in haunted hotels, but then there is the element of like when you have to wake up the next day, it's work. You you need to just focus on sleeping so then you can work the whole next day. It's a long day. I my one of the one one of the stories along those lines that I tell is that. I was staying at the Stanley Hotel, the the Shining Hotel, as we were talking about earlier. And this was a couple of years ago, and it was at a paranormal event. And it wasn't one of the rooms that was known to be haunted because typically people that come to the event, they they try to reserve that room. They'll probably pay extra for the Mm -hmm. super haunted room. I was just in one of the speaker rooms and go to bed and I wake up hearing what sounded like footsteps all around my bed. And it was, it was like a pacing sound, you know, back and forth around the bed, not even across the room. And I remember just being annoyed and, and, and exhausted and and saying, look, I don't care if you're in here, but you got to stop that. I just need to sleep tonight. I'm like this, like, the whatever it is like just it's fine if you're in here just stop so i can go to work tomorrow and then it stopped so
3: yeah i think there was one hotel that wasn't known for haunted activity it was in tulsa oklahoma um and it used to be like an old government building but uh, chain had bought it out and turned it into hotel rooms and i had Cause we do set up really early in the morning when we're there at conventions. And then we end up working in the afternoon. So I went back to take a nap cause I love my sleep and I was laying in bed and all of a sudden I felt somebody sit down on the bed. So I thought it was my husband, Chris, who would maybe come back to change clothes or something before he headed back over. But no, it wasn't come to find out. I talked to a couple other people, people were getting phantom phone calls, weird stuff was going on in that hotel all weekend.
2: I know exactly. I won't say the chain's name, but it's it's one of I I was probably at that event with you, probably yeah. staying in that hotel. It's one of those that's kind of designed to look somewhat more modern Super and trendy. yeah, yeah, kind of trendy. Yeah, so yeah, I remember that building quite well. I remember that event in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, so Tulsa is actually one of those places that I really want to go back to and explore more of the paranormal phenomena there, but. Yeah, it it is funny. This is not really ski lodgy but it's anywhere can be haunted. is is my thing. Anywhere probably yeah. is haunted. If you if you believe in ghosts, if you believe in the paranormal, then really it can it can and probably is anywhere. People yeah. not only have died in a lot of places, but who's to say something's just not passing on through? And yep. uh, you know your standard chain hotel, new building, whatever, I think is is can quite potentially be haunted as well as the old building that's 132 years old. You know, it's like anywhere can be haunted. I agreed. Preaching to the choir, sir. Preaching to the choir. Well, I mean, you would know. You wrote about it in your new book, I'd Rather Talk to Dead People. I got the title right now, right? I'd you rather did, talk yeah. for a moment I almost said I'd prefer to talk to dead people, but I'm like, that's not that that's not the title. It's I'd rather no, that's not how kitsy talks. <laughs> that's not how kitsy talks. Well, before I'd rather. I you, <laughs> before I let you go, what what's sort of happening? What recommendations do you have in the world of paranormal pop culture or regular pop pop culture? Anything that you want to put out there?
3: What you um I've I've watched a bunch of awesome stuff uh, series on TV. I like I said I, I ditched cable. Um, HBO Max has a series on it called Ghosts. It's from the BBC. Definitely check it out. Snarky humor, all the hauntings, the ghosts are hilarious in it. Really really fun time. And I just recently binged uh, the last season of Sabrina, which I'm a big fan of all the witchy and all the darkness of that series. It ended well. I there's no, it's not coming back. You guys sign all the petitions you want, but I don't think it's coming back. I, th- I thought the ending was good.
2: Okay. Uh, I, I need to watch that final season of Sabrina. I have to say like, even though it's, it's not, I'm cheating. It's not paranormal pop culture. It's, it's just regular pop culture, but uh, I do want to catch up on ghosts, which you recommended. But so I've been very much in the world of Cobra Kai and oh. absolutely love that show. And the third season dropped just a few days ago on on Netflix. So I'm loving that it's quick, quick, easy watch, but highly entertaining and not not paranormal at all. But, um, you know, it's it's scratching that itch for me right now and yeah
3: it's got that that geeky vibe that is if you want to go geeky doom patrol so good
2: i love doom patrol i i would write a lot about it for den of geek and at first it was a show that i was very skeptical of thinking it was just gonna be okay a lot of quirky characters but in addition to it being really funny and body, it has so much heart. It's it's yes. such a, a really impactful show and yeah, I, I that's that's a great one. I'm looking forward to that one returning. Well, Kiki Duncan, this is uh, this has been your foray into the world of <laughs> America. Where can where can people find you if they want to check out your book or follow your own podcasts and say hi, all of that good stuff.
3: All my stuff and all my things, just go to flow.page slash Kitsy Duncan and all my stuff and things are there. And make sure you say hi, because I like it when you say hi. Sorry, I was listening to Lore the other day. <clears throat>
2: <laughs> that, was, that was that was a very good Aaron Mankey for a moment. <laughs> uh, but, well, say hi to Kitsy over there and... Kitsy, thanks so much for hanging out with us. This is This has been an interesting, interesting episode, and uh, I hope you had fun.
3: I had a blast. I always have a blast with you.
2: I know. I miss you. I miss you. I, I, I can't wait to see you in person. But this, this is good, like virtually. So, yes. Uh, well, well, you got to come back, and we got to tell more spooky stories and true crime stories, and maybe stories where when people get arrested, they're wearing all of their clothes instead of (laughs) bizarrely missing some of them. I don't know. And next time I'll do better with my Scottish accent. I swear I can do a good one. I don't know. Maybe I'm feeling the pressure of it right now, but
3: I I need to see something on Instagram from you. I'm just saying. (laughs)
2: Look, Hey, look, the final note on this, and now I'm just rambling is that I did recently get essentially second place. Well, it wasn't a contest, but a good friend of mine who is Scottish he was celebrating his birthday and all of the friends gathered and sent him birthday greetings in using Scottish accents. And apparently I was the second best out of all the English people, out of all the, the, the Scottish people said that I was the closest to Glaswegian accent. And uh, The Night so, America
3: fans are not buying it because you didn't pull it. You didn't bring it.
2: Okay, let's, it's like, uh, well, I said like, Stuart, aye, happy birthday, mate. There we go.
3: See, now so, you sound like David Tennant. Good job.
2: I, well, I'm not quite David Tennant, but, like, just an angry, because, sadly, when I do accents, they just veer into cartoonish, like, ah, oh, when I do an Irish accent, it doesn't sound so Irish, so much as, like, an offensive Lucky Charms cartoonish <laughs> character.
0: That's just
2: no one wants to hear me do that. So, <laughs> it, so now I'm going to get letters and, but Hey, if people are writing letters, it means they're listening to the podcast. Exactly.
3: So where, where can they find you? Mr. Aaron Sager.
2: <laughs> well, on here on night America and all across the board <laughs> at Aaron Sagers on Instagram and everywhere. So, and Patreon at uh patreon.com night and patreon.com geeky, creepy, tiki travels. So, all right. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> Thank you for joining. I want you to stay spooky and we will do this again soon.
3: You too. Thank you. Anytime you need me, I'm here, buddy.
2: Thanks for listening. Please consider giving America a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us raise awareness and boost the show's rankings. Also, give us a follow on social media and share the show with your friends. If you are able, we appreciate your support on Patreon.com forward slash Nightmerica so we can continue bringing you more spooky stories. If you would like to share your own paranormal stories or get paranormal advice for entertainment purposes only, email Nightmerica at gmail.com.